the meat of the podcast. <laughs> have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. This is She's in Russia. I'm Smith, and I'm on a train in Manhattan. And I'm Lily, and I'm also on a train with Smith in Manhattan heading down to the Lower East Side. And uh, what are we doing down there? We are going down to the Lower East Side to see an 18-foot-tall copper hollow statue of Vladimir Lenin. Vladimir Lenin. He's on top of an apartment building located at 178 Norfolk Street. Basically, yeah, we're just going to check out this statue right now. We're going to ask people in the neighborhood about it and ask about its significance. We're going to go back to our New York studio, and Smith has already interviewed the people who brought the statue to New York City from the Soviet Union, and she is going to tell me the story of it and play clips from the interview with these people. So I'm really excited about that. All right, so we're on, we're at 178 Norfolk, and Lily, can you describe what we're looking at? Yeah, so we're right below Lenin. We're looking up at him. He's on the top of this, like, brick building that's... One, two, three, three four, five. Five stories tall. And he's pointing, he's pointing west, basically, directly west. And he's, like, standing on the edge of the roof, basically. Yeah, can you describe, like, what, how his arm is? So, I mean, like, all Lenin statues, he has his arm extended, you know, Kind of pointing. looking upwards. Kind of looking upwards, gesturing. His arm is extended, like, but with his palm facing not up or down, but sideways. So he's not like Heil Hitlering or anything. He's just, his arm is just extended forward, pointing to communism, the future, whatever it is, gesturing forward. So it turns out this building is just a few buildings in on a block that runs perpendicular to Houston. And we can see his former home, which apparently before he was on a building on Houston that we see that's right in front of us, that is this big brick building with a clock on it that's called Red Square. So you've never seen the statue before? Not that particular one on the roof there. But the first time I left America to voyage abroad, you know, Europe, I went to the Soviet Union. It was in December of 1970, in January 71. Brezhnev was in power then. Lenin was everywhere. Oh, his statues. I think I read that they destroyed most of them. I thought they should have put up a huge park somewhere in that huge country. Like a Disneyland <laughs> linen statue park. You know, and just put them all up there for miles. First, have you ever noticed it before? No, I haven't. I don't walk on this block very much. 
Oh, really? How, have you lived in this neighborhood for a long time? I used to live on the other side of the house on an avenue. See, I live in Brooklyn now. Oh, okay. So you actually used to be on this building right here, where oh, it was more noticeable. Square. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the statue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, and it's the same one. Oh, okay. Now yeah. I see him. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember. I was living on uh, Avenue C when that building was built, and when they brought the statue over, they had a crane and put it there in place. Yeah. And so I, I didn't even know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, they actually sold the building, and the owners didn't want it. That's why right. they moved it. But um, what are they? Not communists? What's wrong with these people? <laughs> Buying a big apartment on a building like that? They have to be communists. <laughs> anyway. Um, what do you think of it? Well, you know, it's fine. You know, I mean, Vladimir, you know, and all that, you know, he's, he's, he's a cool guy, you know. He was, he was a man of his time, you know. Now it's the 21st century and he's sitting on top of a roof. So have you ever noticed it before? I have. It used to be behind me. And what do you think about a Lenin statue being on the Lower East Side? Um, you know, um, what do I really think of it? Um, it, it's sort of those, you know, small but significant local landmark for people who live here. I lived here for 25 years. Um, yeah, so somebody, the building owner who used to own that building, apparently sold the building and then relocated over here, you know, to have the resources. Um, and, and, and willingness really to, to put it up and then keep it to his other building. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's not really saying a whole lot about what I really think of the statue itself. Um, it's just that it's what it is. It's like many things else that, that are being removed, relocated, uh, you know, willfully or not, uh, that's still around, so that's something to enjoy, I guess. Um, I'm not going to say they're site-specific in any ways, you know, given the context of this neighborhood. Lots of immigrants, you know, for over a century, this is a landing part, pet, and, um, you know, a, you know, lower, middle, you know, uh, income bracket until, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, it's totally different. Um, so I, I, I do question, you know, what, what does that say about, you know, who they really are? You know, because it, it's sort of out of context. I mean, I like, you know, I live just down the block, I can see when I go up to the roof and people ask me about it when I go up. But, but, but so, so you got um, resourceful people, want, you know, wanting uh, to add to what they built. Um, and that's the choice. That's the part that I don't, I don't know if I should care. You mean you have a hard time reconciling no, that no, they're no, obviously capitalists I, with a communist I, symbol? To, to be frank, I, I don't, I, as I said, um, people are motivated to do what they do. You're motivated to make recordings, talk to people in the neighborhood. And it's not really for me to question. Um, and, and I simply was wondering, you know, really behind the motivations, what's really, um, you know, are they Russians? You know, um, were they, you know, were they impacted by um, the change uh, at the time in the 80s? Uh, you know, so like you, you just sometimes you wanted more. So maybe I'm trying to reconcile it, but I'm not. I don't really. Care. I never thought about. I, I never really thought about it yeah. that the way you ask me about. Nor do I really care about whether it's needed needed to be reconciled. No, people do all kinds of stuff. Um, great, do it. You know, um, they are making something that 
you know, I guess bring a little bit of flavor and colors to the neighborhood. It's great. What do you personally think about this at you? Um, I, I suppose I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I know, I didn't read this book, but there's a book about like the history of downtown or New York City or something that one of my artists read and told me that the way that Red Square was marketed was like kind of controversial at the time. It was like the first kind of high rise in the East Village that kind of uh, created a marketing scheme to like put forth this idea of um, like the bohemian underbelly like mixing in the East Village and so like kind of co-opting like ideas of like socialism but for like the new bourgeoisie coming in and kind of gentrifying the neighborhood which um, so it, it, it's a little it's a little mixed what do you think about it or what what sort of does it mean to you when you see the statue because it's been around for a while yeah I mean like it's like a, how can I say um, a landmark, a landmark, like a uh, emotional landmark, landmark as well. Like uh, you know that it has been there forever. Is a, a point of reference. How can you say? For me, as a person who lives in New York, you are, get used to seeing things that are always there. But New York moves fast, so every time something changes. So you have also to get used to to changes. You know, to to not seeing things anymore. That's, which is a little bit sad, but this is New York. <laughs>
All right. So the linen statue, as we learned from this morning, currently lives at 178 Norfolk Street. Street. So it lives there now on top of this building, but it was originally erected in 94 on a building on Houston. And the this building that it was originally on was developed by Rosen in 89. That's when it opened. And they called it Red Square because as Shaul puts it, it was red and square. What was the building? Yeah. They don't actually own the building. Somebody else owns Who the building. Who is that, Rosen? Rosen, What does yeah. Rosen do? Rosen, well, now Rosen, it's kind of, he does like different stuff. Like, I mean, at the time he was doing like real estate development and then first like a decade he was a writer he's like one of those people that just like does a bunch of different stuff okay so they they built this this building okay in 89 they named it red square because it was red and square and also it was 89 so it had this like soviet cachet and i guess at the time according to shallow it was a pretty unusual building on the lower east side because it had a doorman and an elevator and it was one of only two doorman elevator buildings on the lower east side at the time so a couple of years after the building goes up in 91 Rosen gets this idea. This is Shaul speaking. You know, I remember sitting with, with Michael in the office. We used to share a room together, and, and suddenly he was this kind of guy. This sort of little light bulb went off in his head. You could always see when a light bulb went off in his head. And uh, he says, I, I got this great idea. Why don't we, it's 1991, you know, Russia's kind of a mess. Why don't we get our hands on a statue of Lenin? So I said, okay. And, and I was kind of, you know, my job was always to put his fantasies into reality. I have so many questions. Are they friends? They're just friends. They're business partners. They're, they're business partners in real estate, even though, what's his name? Mike, so they're both named Michael. Michael Shaul and Michael Sha- Rose. Shaul Rosen. is a British. He, he is British, yeah. Shaul is British. Yeah. B, he's an asset management person who is working with a real estate guy at this time. Yeah, but remember, like, it's, it's you know, the I guess it's the early 90s at this time. I get the sense that they're just, like, doing a lot of different stuff, you know? Are they friends? Uh, yeah, I get the sense that they're friends. They talk about each other very fondly. So so one of their partners had this wife who was a model. This one? Yeah, she had, they had this wife, and she had studied Russian at Princeton, and she was modeling, and I guess she was spending a lot of time modeling in Russia, and so she has some Russian contacts, and she hooks Shaul up with some Russian contact. So he's like, you know, making a lot of calls and trying to track down this linen statue, and he gets pretty close in the summer of 91. But then this coup attempt happens in the Soviet Union, and, you know, we're getting, we're at the point where we're getting pretty close to the tail end of the Soviet years. There's only a few months and more, and then it'll be kaput in December. But yeah, so this coup attempt, basically some hardliners in the Communist Party, disgruntled with Gorbachev's reforms, ousted him for a couple of days in August of 91, literally your birthday. Actually, actually, literally August 19th. No, your birthday is the birthday. 17th. God damn. All right. Two days. Every time. You're two days old. Okay. I was two days old, and I said, you guys, we got to do a coup. This is an NBC News special report. Crisis in Moscow. Now, here is Brian Gumbel. Good afternoon. This has been an extraordinary day in the Soviet Union, where Mikhail Gorbachev has been ousted from power. In what appears to have been a bloodless coup, hardliners have seized power and declared a state of emergency. Armored columns of troops have taken up positions throughout the Soviet Union, and Mikhail Gorbachev is said to be under house arrest at his vacation home in the Crimea. A committee made up of hardline KGB and defense chiefs named former Vice President Gennady Yanayev, a 53-year-old communist conservative, to replace Gorbachev. In a news conference called earlier today, the committee claims Gorbachev resigned due to ill health. 
Those who have seized power say the state of emergency is temporary, and they even indicated that Gorbachev could have his job back when his health improved. At the moment, tanks line the streets of Moscow, and there have been demonstrations and some gunfire, though no reports of any injuries. Boris Yeltsin, the president of the Republic of Russia, is at the center of what resistance there is. He has called on his people to resist the emergency committee, and he's urged an immediate general strike. He has also urged Soviet soldiers to abandon their posts. Okay, so... The coup lasts for a couple of days, but ultimately Yeltsin and the civilian resistance he's built up are successful, and Gorbachev is reinstated. So yay for Yeltsin and Gorbachev, but not so yay for Shaul, whose statue connections are apparently on the wrong side of this coup attempt. And so we were back to square one. So I I actually went back to England in 92, and while I was in England in 92, Michael carried on working on this and met some people who were trafficking, uh, I guess they would say dealing, um, I would say trafficking in, in Russian artifacts. And we tasked them with finding a statue of Lenin. And originally this statue was meant to be six foot tall max, so it could fit in the lobby of the building. Um, and we told them we would take a Lenin. We couldn't find a Lenin. We'd consider a Marx, but we weren't going anywhere near Stalin. That was kind of our, our bottom line. So during this period where these people are, these so, so-called so traders and dealers are looking for the Lenin, the Soviet Union collapses, and these three guys that Rosen knows, they're Americans. Um, and, and in talking to Rosen, he kind of described them as more art people. Like he thinks they may have had a gallery in Soho and they just had a particular affinity for Russia. Lefties. Maybe lefties, maybe not, but I was able to look them up and actually find their websites now. And now they're like real estate people, but like small time real estate agents. And they made a they they seem to do some cool stuff like they brought Mayakovsky's daughter to the U.S. on like a tour. And they um, wrote a book together that was like a collection of Soviet photographers, that sort of stuff. Their names are Walker, Ursity and McGinnis. That's three names. Yeah, three guys. And just as a side note, while this trio is looking for the Lenin, they come across what they claim as a genuine, con- genuine Kandinsky. And this is Rosen speaking. They said that they um, had a Kandinsky, but it wasn't signed. And they had to authenticate that it was a Kandinsky. And they wanted me to front the money for it. And I'm... Um, um, uh, uh, a bit of a sucker for those things. And so I agreed to do it. Oh, my God. Um, Would he get the Kandinsky if the, if it was? Yeah, I think that, that was the idea. That was the idea. So, so after wow. a few months, they find the linen in the back of someone's dacha. So we are told that, that, that he, he had been commissioned from a, a fairly famous Lenin statue maker called Yuri Gerasimov, but he had never been installed. So I guess he was a late 80s model of Lenin. He'd never been installed, and he had simply been put in, in somebody's dasher. And, and these three people, they were called Walker, Ursity, and McGuinness. Um, and as I say, they were traveling around Russia looking for stuff that they could buy and sell. They'd sort of seen the opportunity. I mean, I mean, everything was for sale back then. I, I guess they should have bought an aluminum company, but have done a lot better. I, I never went to Russia myself, but, but my understanding is that, that it really was chaotic, and pretty much everything was for sale, and... and they would go and buy things and bring them back to the U.S. and sell them. 
Okay, so the statue that Walker, Ursity, and McGinnis find was an 18-footer. And if you remember, the Michaels actually wanted a linen that was six feet, something that they could fit in the lobby. 18 feet tall. 18 feet tall. But they get the linen shipped over anyhow, because as Shaul puts it, you never quite get what you want in this world. And the Kandinsky (laughs) is supposed to be in this shipment as well, but it gets lost or stolen, consigned to history, as Rosen puts it. And he thinks that there probably was a painting, but whether or not it was actually a Kandinsky is debatable. But once the linen arrives in New York, and apparently it didn't cost very much to get it shipped. Fucking 90s. Yeah. They can't really do anything with him because... He doesn't fit in the elevator to get him on the roof. Were they thinking about the roof as an option now that they're like, we have an 18 foot man? Yeah. yeah. So they're like, the only place we can put it is on the roof. Right. Yeah. That's oh the intention. Of Red Square. Of Red Square. Yeah. Which is this building on Houston. So for a period of time, Lenin lived in a garage in Tribeca, a man, a man that we knew agreed to put Lenin in his garage. And several months went past. And we were busy, you know, we had other things to do. And then one day he called me up and said, Michael, this Lenin is like, you know, taking up half my garage, you need to get rid of it. So then we really got to work and we actually contacted the rigging company that puts up the Rockefeller Christmas tree. And we got in touch with them and we're like, okay, this is the job we've got. We want to hoist Lenin up the side of a building and put him on the top. It's, it's 130 feet. You know, it's, it's not huge, but we just didn't know what we were doing. Um, and back then, there was no construction in New York City, so it wasn't that there was rigging stuff around all the time. It was, you know, there's went through this five, ten-year period where nothing got built. So uh, we contracted with them to turn up. It was kind of the, the old days, the, the beginning of the Giuliani administration, but he hadn't really got his hand around the city yet. So I will say, without a permit or any other permission, this, this rigging company turned up on Houston Street. It's a big street, one of the main streets in Manhattan. Uh, Lennon arrived on a pickup truck, was put on the floor. Um, and I remember people walking up and down the street and looking at it. And in fact, one of the, there used to be a lot of dealing back then, one of the local drug dealers saw Lennon, came up to me, asked who it was. I told him it was Lennon. He asked me whether Lennon was famous. I said, yeah, Lennon was famous. He ran off and bought one of his little instant cameras that we used to use um, and came back and stood on top of Lennon taking photos of it. And all I could think is, okay, he's got this far and now someone's going to put his foot through his chest. But anyway, it, it survived. And there was this beautiful moment when, when we stopped for traffic on Houston Street and we hoisted Lennon up the side of the building and there, there he was. And, and we got another friend of ours who used to work on installations at the Guggenheim to put him on a platform. And uh, I can show you, we, we, we very carefully put Lennon on the top of the building looking at the World Trade Center. Um, the building had a great view of the, of the Twin Towers, um, and we left it at that. And over a period of weeks and months, people noticed he was there. And, uh, you know, he sort of became quite sort of famous slash uh, infamous. So when the statue first goes up, you have different groups of people who aren't super happy about it for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's probably good to know a little, about, a little bit about the history of the Lower East Side to understand why this is. Our neighborhood, um, the East Village, Lower East Side, has gone through waves and waves and waves of immigration. It was Germans and then, I don't know, 1,600 or whatever number of people were killed in the Slocum disaster. Okay, so do you know what the Slocum disaster is? No. Okay. I did not either. Slocum? Slocum. S-L-O-C-U-M. Slocum. Slocum. 
okay, so it's pretty tragic event. Basically, there was the ship, the General Slocum, and every year St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church would charter this thing to go from what was then called Little Germany on the Lower East Side up the East River. Um, mostly women and children would go, and the ship would stop at this picnic, picnic place on Long Island, and they'd have a picnic. What time period are we in? This is 1904. Early 1900s. Yeah. Okay. So in 1904, the General Slocum gets underway in the morning and it catches fire about 30 minutes in. And then basically just a series of like disasters align to make it like one massive disaster. Like a boy tries to supposedly a boy tried to tell the captain that there was a fire in the lamp room and the captain doesn't believe him. And then the life preservers are shitty and rotten. And like mothers were putting their kids into life preservers and throwing them in the water and like watching their kids sink. Oh my God. Uh, the fire hoses were rotten, so they couldn't like spray water on anything. The captain doesn't dock the ship and instead tries to go up wind, which like fans the flames. And the ship sinks and nobody can swim. And the women are all wearing those like old big dresses that are like weighing them down. It's reminds me of the quirks, except for women and children. Yeah, women and children. So Rosen said somewhere around 1,600 people died. It was more like 1,000. And I think like around 1,300 people were on the ship in total. But still oh my God. very bleak wait so why is he even talking about this he's he's describing why the neighborhood has shifted over time and at one point it was like this little germany with a lot a bunch of germans and then like a large portion of the wives and children of these men died and he'll, he'll go on nuts. to explain there were women and children who died primarily so then you had you know, i don't know a thousand widowers and and that's when a lot of people moved up to yorktown and my ancestors moved into the neighborhood you know jews and then jews moved out and and puerto ricans moved in and blacks moved in and in the 50s there was a quite big wave of ukrainians i think in the early 50s and some of those people i'm sure a lot of them were still alive and 1994 when we put Lenin on top of the building and um, I hadn't thought about that and um, and people found it insulting and I understand that yeah I wasn't putting Mother Teresa on top of the building in reality but I was trying to make a, a, a bit of an, an ironic statement but that was also in line with what I hoped was the fun of our building, our neighborhood. And then I was acutely aware of the play between capitalism and and uh, different forms of, of communities taking care of other people. And that's why we had Lenin waving to Wall Street. Okay, so, and then you also have people on the left saying that the Michaels were grandstanding and just putting up the linen for publicity, and Rosa was like, of course they were right, we were doing it for publicity, but in talking to them, I don't, it really wasn't solely for publicity. Like both Rosen and Shaul are acutely aware of the symbolism of the linen and specifically the symbolism of the linen being on the Lower East Side. We felt that Lenin was an important historical figure and that there was some context for putting him on a building called Red Square, and, and we positioned him in such a way that he overlooked the Lower East Side, which was, I guess, about the one square mile of America that ever really became socialist, and looked at the World Trade Center. And of course, well, I, I guess we could, if, he, if we'd put a little phrase at the bottom, we would have put, this too shall pass. It never occurred to us, of course, that he would outlive the World Trade Center. I mean, that, that was, you know, one of these sort of great, great, you know, great surprises. 
so fast forwarding 20 something years in 2016 red square gets sold so the michaels weren't the owners of the buildings they of the building they just managed it and the owners decide to sell it and the new owners like weren't trying to keep the vague soviet branding and they didn't want the statue and they got rid of the name red square and everything and shaul and rosen cut a deal wherein they got to keep the linen as long as they handled its removal so they take the linen down this time with permits and this is in 2016. I think over time, because it was there for 20-something years, when it came down, I was actually touched by the, the, the amount of attention it got for being taken down, and that it had transformed in the way symbols do. It had transformed into something conveying the, the, a certain time in the neighborhood. That's the magic of symbols is that they're pliable, they're fungible, they're, they're slippery. And um, this had transformed itself into a, a real place in the, in the community standing for um, maybe not the, the serious raw-edged aspects of the Lower East Side in the East Village, which might have been the 70s when it was burning and, and maybe the early 80s, but by the late mid-80s, I was there and starting to develop the property. And then we put the we put the statue up in the 90s and it was in transition, but it hadn't been completely transformed. And and I think the fact that some people knew bought the building and they didn't want it there and they clearly intended to, in a sense, whitewash that aspect of time of the whole neighborhood. I think tied into the people who conveyed, in a sense, a sadness of the, the, the statue going were the people who also had remembered the older times. Who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, How come they have such academic speak, like symbols? and That to me sounds like... Or they're just like smart and also got into real estate? They're, they're smart. They also got into real estate and they both are academically trained. I know Shaul has a PhD and I think that Rosen might have a PhD, but nevertheless, like he identified himself as, uh, what was the word for it he used? I, I want to say he has like a cultural anthropologist background or something Who? along those lines. Rosen. Okay. Well, the guy was just talking. Yeah. And they both referenced like throughout my conversations with them, like more lefty thinkers like Marx and stuff. And I get the sense that Rosen is like, wasn't ever a socialist, but definitely was like sympathetic to socialism except that it was then combined with like his desire to build fancy buildings on the lower east side you know so right so but he so because the whole like light bulb went off the whole motivation for the statue was just like the soviet union's falling down we could get a crazy lenin statue just like for fun kind of right plus the symbolism he's discussing plus the like so he it's not just like a pure like i love the Soviet Union in any way. No, I didn't get the sense that, at least with Shaul, like he said that he didn't have any specific connection to the Soviet Union. Union. I don't think Michael Rosen did really either, but I think that they're those type of guys that like recognize important events and things happening and like like the idea of symbolizing that and like encapsulating a moment in time. And I also think at the time there was precedent in the in New York for like, public works of this kind of genre of thing like Shaul noted how there were people buying those red British telephone boxes and putting them up around New York 
Because there were like fewer laws to like prevent them from doing that kind of like. Maybe that's part of it. And maybe there was also just a trend in the same way that like maybe graffiti became a trend. Like there was like a trend of putting statues up or like foreign objects foreign objects yeah there was some sort of appeal there so i don't know like how much meaning there really was in the fact that like it's linen and like the soviet union is falling down but i think like there's a mix of things and i think overall at least the sense i got is that they're just like kind of charmed by the fact that like linen's on the top of this building and they like think it's funny and fun which is what how i feel about it also yeah and they're like clearly what's cool about them there's some kind of like they're both they're inside outsiders like they're outsiders like social outsiders it and I mean that in the sense of like observing social patterns and norms like an anthropologist would from yeah, the outside like a flaneur like a flaneur or like a you know ethnographer or whatever yeah and being like I'm going to like this is a really insane moment and it's a moment like packed with symbolism and I'm going to participate in that in a really active way and that also is like a sort of like hubris that I feel like is American where we're we're like we just can we can just do that like we have the gall yeah because that's the outsider part but then the insider part is that they're the insiders of their neighborhood and they're like participating in something where from the outside it's like you know they have all these friends the friend who did this and the friend who did that who comes and helps the guy with the truck yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's just like it feels like they're completely in that society and then they end up being part of that society, which when they move the thing from Houston, they're like, it's like symbolizing the sort of end of a certain era. And they were part of that era. Yeah. And that's so cool. Yeah. I want to be an inside it, outsider. It's, it's, yeah. I just don't know if I'm an insider. I'm, I'm not, always an outsider. Yeah, same. But that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, that That's why, like last night I was talking about how when we start a business I want it to be something like physical in the real world because just this idea of being like I want to get a statue and put it on a roof and do it and like what a fun project that is for no other reason than to just do it and have it happen you know and yeah they got the publicity from it but there is something like extremely charming and like fun about that and I just like want to have the ability to do those sorts of things in the future but that but okay but that wasn't a business plan that's it not a just business. it was aesthetic not, and yeah. fun but but like you could build a business around doing stuff that is more f- like physically rooted and and at least in their early years they were doing that because they were like building buildings and shit building and like managing building and managing you know now like he does asset management so that's something that's like more virtual but See, the thing is we need to figure out what in our era is just like a free-for-all because in every era, I think it's not, it can't be that there was only, there was the 60s, there was the 70s, there's the 80s. Come on, there can't be. There that there's is a free-for-all, but it's a digital free-for-all. And I just don't want to do that. I want a free-for-all in oh, the real so world. Digital is the, so what's the real world free-for-all right now? If like real estate at the time was. I mean, honestly, like the real physical free-for-all right now is like probably how China's like pillaging Africa at the moment, which obviously we don't want to participate in. So the, the other question is, can you still have a free-for-all in New York specifically, which is the place that people sort of it's like the free-for-all era is over the era when like artists can live here and just do whatever they want and you know you don't need permits for everything that component does still exist but i agree like maybe not on as much of a mass scale as like something like getting a linen statue on a building on houston street on houston yeah Yeah. without a permit and they just like hit up the guys who do the rockefeller tree like hey you want to do this 
I know it does. It is really fun. Like when he's talking about how he's a sucker for like the Kandinsky thing, like th- I feel like I could potentially be a sucker for those sorts of things if I had enough money where it's just like, yeah, yeah, just I want to be like shit. a sucker for that. Yeah. OK, so lucky for the linen and the historical preservation of the Lower East Side, the Michaels happened to own a building about 50 feet down the street. The building at 178 Norfolk that we visited and talked to people on the street. And in the summer of 2017, the linen was re-erected atop the 60-foot building. And this time, of course, by the time he was re-erected, it was last summer, so 2017, I would say all the criticism came from the right. Yeah. And, and it's, just, it's just a historical happen chance that he happened to go back up right at the point that all, this, all these issues with Confederate statues came up. And of course, the view of Russia has had quite a switch over that period of time. I mean, he, he went up at the time that people were talking about the end of history in, in 1991, 94. You know, so by 2017, Russia is re-emerging as the bogeyman, not perhaps to the same degree that it was. And the view of statues has changed. I would say people have lost their sense of humor about statues. Um, and they've become perhaps more important than they ever should be. I mean, to me, a statue's always been a fairly problematic thing and something you shouldn't take too seriously. And, and the nature of a statue is it lasts a long time, but what people think about that person often changes. Um, most often, a statue gets built and people forget who he is 50 years later. And that, that's the fate of most statues is, is they go up. Now, Len- a Lenin is different. A Lenin was a statue that was imposed throughout the um, Soviet bloc. We were always aware that he was a more controversial figure. It wasn't a completely neutral piece of iron. This was, this was very much an, an authoritarian statue. Um, but as I say, I, 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 think, I think the view of what we were doing changed and all the criticism that we've had has come from the right this time. And it's very rare in life that you get to revisit your youth and your middle age. You know, you get to remember your youth and your middle age is, is the normal pattern. So, so one of the reasons why I did it was, you know, somehow the statue of Lenin had become a little piece of me. All right, that's the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to follow us on Arena, Telegram, and Twitter at She's in Russia. Sign up for our monthly image-based newsletter at she'sinrussia.com. If you have any questions or comments about Russia and Russian daily life, give us a call at plus one, three, four, seven, two, nine, two, seven, one, two, six. If you are not US-based and prefer you Skype, give us a call at She's in Russia, and we will see you next week. So I just wanted to ask you about this statue. Have you seen it before? Nope. Yeah, I've heard about it. I saw it when it was being moved. Before I was born. <laughs> Stop!